Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The parole board has released their reasons for denying parole to Paul Bernardo. That was, of course, the uh, hearing that took place a few days ago. Uh, it took them less than an hour, I believe, to actually come to that conclusion that he was not going to be granted parole. Uh, and there's some interesting rationale behind uh, the, the the statement, really, that the parole board put out. Susan Claremont, who was there at the time for the hearing, uh, the award-winning columnist, of course, the Hamilton Spectator, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Good morning, Susan. How are you doing today? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. Listen, i got to ask you right up for a great piece, by the way. It's called Parole Board Releases Reasons for Denying Parole to uh, Bernardo. It's in the spec today. Is, is this usual for the board to actually release a statement like that, explaining their rationale? Yeah, it is. Um, when they, at the hearing itself, uh, all they say is approved or denied with no uh, explanation, and then a written decision comes out uh, usually a couple weeks later. So here we are with this. Uh, any surprises in here as far as you're concerned? Well, yeah, there were some uh, things that came up in the written decisions that we didn't hear about at the hearing. Uh, maybe the most notable is that there appears, we heard at the hearing that he was in some kind of a relationship with a woman in 2014. Um, it was a, a bit um, nebulous about what it was all about, but some kind of a romantic relationship. That ended, but now I've learned uh, from the written decision that he appears to be in a relationship right now with somebody. Uh, yeah, well, the one that was referenced in the at the parole board hearing, I, I, we'd had some inkling of that in the past. Uh, now, from what you wrote in the piece today, Susan, I get the impression that they, they had access to all the, the correspondence back and forth between Bernardo and that woman. Yeah, the way it normally works is um, offender's mail is screened, both incoming and outgoing, uh, to make sure in part that he's not corresponding with people that he has um, orders not to contact. So, yeah, prison officials would be aware of, of all of his letters um, that he's writing to anybody on the outside. And, and the, the gist of, of, I guess, the correspondence uh, seems to be, well, Bernardo's the same old Bernardo. He hasn't changed a whole lot since the days we, he was convicted. Right. So in 2014, he had um, a, 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 this relationship with a woman, either um, through phone calls or by letters. And... Um, it's unclear whether they ever met in person or whether they ever had a conjugal visit, but the letters and phone calls were all about sex. And uh, that's deeply concerning when we're talking about a serial sex killer like Paul Bernardo. And according to the parole board, um, it was about, you know, there were fantasies of, of rough sex, um, fantasies that were similar to some of the rapes that Paul Bernardo has admitted to and been convicted of. And that's uh, a big red flag for the parole board. Yeah, as you wrote today, obviously when he was diagnosed, and he's gone through extensive uh, assessments, of course, over the 25 years, uh, as uh, sexual sadistic personality, psychopath, narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, and, and according to uh, what these parole board released, Susan, I guess the letters pretty much substantiated that he's the same way now. Absolutely. Uh, despite the fact that Paul Bernardo insists that he is cured, that's his word, he is cured, um, his behavior, his correspondence, his fantasies um, certainly show that he is not. 
And, and this is what, what I think intrigued an awful lot of us when we read the piece today, Susan, is that when you reported uh, at that hearing, obviously there were some people that, that gave testimony at that, but obviously the parole board had a lot more to go on. They had a lot more information that they didn't readily release that day, but they certainly had, and that was a factor in, in their, their judgment. Right. So that's one of the things that I have a real issue with um, around parole hearings. And um, so, in fact, to the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, uh, parole boards are, are not as open and transparent as they could be or as they should be, I think. Um, they are privy to medical records, psychological records, <clears throat> excuse me, institutional records, um, that they are basing their decisions on that the public knows little or nothing at all about. I mean, some of the things that are in this um, written decision that was just released yesterday are things that we didn't hear at the actual parole hearing. And even now, they're, they're very vague. For instance, this current relationship that Paul Bernardo has, I'm unclear as to whether it's with a man or with a woman. It appears to be romantic. I don't know if they've met in real life or if this is all through phone calls and, and correspondence. Um, I don't know if there's conjugal visits. Uh, you know, Paul Bernardo's release plan, if he had, had, in fact, been allowed out by the parole board, which he really didn't have a hope in hell of getting, um, but his plan was to go and live with this friend, apparently, and yet we have no idea who they are. Why not release the information? I mean, now that it's been published in, in this report, uh, I, I understand there's some sense of confidentiality, but it's not as if anything is earth-shaking here. Uh, this is stuff that probably could have been released to the public at that time. Well, I think or, or at least it, to the it, families, anyway. I think it should be released to the public. I mean, we uh, have a right to know exactly how the parole board is, is making its decisions and what it's basing them on. Uh, but what we hear from the parole board and from Correctional Services Canada, which um, also sort of oversees the release of information about Paul Bernardo, is, um, you know, two things, really. One is that there could be security issues, and two that it's an invasion of Paul Bernardo's privacy. And, you know, the security issues, I, I guess I have to um, have to rely on correctional services and the parole board to know what's best in that regard. But as far as privacy for Paul Bernardo, I think he gave up his right to privacy when he started raping and killing women. Yeah, but if they didn't release it during the hearing, and they didn't, obviously, a lot of this information, yet here it is in the report. So, I mean, well, is the privacy issue that paramount that they, they you know, obviously have forgotten about it already? Well, I mean, some of it is in the report, but yeah. there's still, you know, there's references to things like um, the report talked about, you know, when a uh, psychologist examined Bernardo in whatever year, and he's had many, many of these exams over the years, uh, the, you know, the conclusion was whatever. Um, usually it's that Bernardo should never, ever be released. But we don't actually get to see the report. And, uh, you know, why not? Why not just release all of that information to the public so we can look at it and decide for ourselves? Well, for instance, uh, as you point out in the piece today, Susan, uh, he was a smuggler, too. I, uh, that's information that we did not know during the trial or anything else, and now all of a sudden it's come to pass. The parole board apparently knew about it, but nobody else did. 
Well, I think, in fact, we did know about it, although it's been sort of overtaken by all of his other crimes. Uh, we did know about that 25 years ago when he was arrested, that he was um, he had a secret um, compartment in his car and was smuggling stuff over the border, cigarettes and whatnot over the border. Um, but we have, I think, most of us forgotten about that in, you know, in light of everything else. But the parole board hasn't. The parole board even uh, talked about um, crimes that Bernardo hasn't been officially convicted of, but has admitted to. So they are taking all of that into consideration. But they're also taking things like his his um, psychological and psychiatric records into consideration, and we don't get to see those. How does the family react to something like this? Because I know, and, and you talked to us about that the day of the hearing, uh, they were frustrated as well uh, that, that they were not getting as much information. I mean, I, you know, I got the impression from some of the comments from both the Mahaffey and the French families that uh, they attended this, but they were still at that point not certain whether or not this guy was actually going to be granted parole. Now when you see this body of evidence that the parole board had, it, it seemed pretty obvious this was never going to happen, but that may have allayed a lot of the concerns and frustrations that those families had if they'd known this information. Yeah, it, it may have. Um, you know, I, I think that they realized it was a long shot for Paul Bernardo. But, um, of course, you know, these families and other victims are not going to take any chances at all. Um, they have the Mahaffey and French families have a lawyer who's been representing them um, around this case for 25 years, Tim Danson yeah, from Toronto. Yeah. And, um you know, the, the families get frustrated at things like Paul Bernardo had his own lawyer sitting beside him at the hearing a couple of weeks ago. But um, Tim Danson, who represents the families, wasn't allowed to say a single word at the hearing. So Paul Bernardo gets that right, um, that privilege, but the families of, of Bernardo's victims do not. It, it's just sort of yet another example of an imbalance in the system. So why don't we have that discussion about, about maybe upgrading and at least reviewing the, the whole parole system? Uh, and I know that every time we have this conversation, it's always after a hearing like this, but the, the furor dies down after two or three days. But clearly, now with the release of this report, I think it underscores the, the need, I would think anyway, to at least to have a review and maybe modify this system. And that's exactly what the Mahaffey and French families are pushing for. In fact, they've uh, aligned themselves with the family um, of a Toronto police officer who was killed in the line of duty 20-plus um, years ago um, to, to you know, go to court um, and demand that the parole board uh, become more transparent and open and to give... Um, uh, victims and their families uh, more of a voice in the whole process and and that's being spearheaded by um, the lawyer Tim Danson so I think we're going to hear a lot more about this issue in in the months to come well I know folks like yourself and others that uh, that follow these sorts of trials have been talking about this for quite some time and uh, obviously the government doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to that but I mean the, the families that are impacted by this now are starting to speak out and as you say with one voice and I'm hoping that's going to have some influence on the government I hope so. I mean, we've seen uh, victims of crime uh, raise their voices and make um, differences in other areas of criminal law. Um, you know, maybe it's time for things to change in the parole system as well. 
Well, and again, it, it just adds to the frustration when we see some of the stuff that was here and, and wondering why this couldn't be released. Uh, you know, it, 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 this is all, we always talk about transparency, and, and I know that becomes almost a catchphrase for some people, but clearly there are certain things going on within the system right now that scream for some sort of review, and, and I think this is a, a classic example of it. I mean, the system is the system. We get that, that even a guy like Bernardo, of course, is entitled to uh, parole hearings, but uh, it would be awfully nice if we had a clear picture as to exactly what his record is and what information they have. Exactly. I mean, you know, you go through um, the criminal justice system, through the, the arrest and the trial process, and although it's not perfect, and I can sometimes be critical there as well, for the most part, it operates on a principle of openness. You know, um, the public can go to court and watch a hearing or a trial rather and, and, you know, be privy to the evidence and the media can report on that. And then you can sort of get to the other end of the criminal justice system, the parole end, and um, there's secrecy once again. So it, it just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to the families. And, you know, in order for... Um, for Canadians to have confidence that the parole system is working, uh, working well and working in the way that it should, we need to understand how it works and how its decisions are made. And we can't do that unless we know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, exactly. And I know that there's a frustration sometimes during trials uh, with publication bans and things of that nature. And, and the justification usually is, well, it could influence the jury. Or, so, so, you know, we don't want anybody to, to get this information. But I don't see that same rule applying here. I mean, this is, uh, you don't get to adjudicate in this, and neither does anybody else that's attending that, but it'd be good to know that information and have a full picture on this. Uh, and, it, and again, it comes down to that word transparency. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if there are legitimate security issues, um, then, you know, I will bow to that. And, and I understand that, you know, when you're talking about a prison system, that, that is a, a legitimate concern. But when it comes to Paul Bernardo's privacy, I mean, where, why would he have privacy rights at this point? You know, um, what gives him the, um, the privilege of, of having privacy when he is a convicted killer, a convicted rapist, and a designated dangerous offender. Um, you know, I, I just I have a hard time with that, and obviously the families do as well. Uh, I think the public at large has a, a hard time with it at the same time. Again, there's been so much criticism about parole board decisions over the last number of years, and, and obviously they're trying to justify their existence and say, no, 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 we've got this under control. The best way to try to gain some confidence, and, and maybe for public confidence in this, is, is to be more forthcoming with information. Absolutely. I mean, technically, parole board hearings are open to the public. Um, but in fact, um, the public doesn't go to them. It, there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through to be approved as a um, an observer at a hearing. And um, the Bernardo hearing from a couple of weeks ago is the first time I think in, in all the years that I've been covering hearings, and I go to quite a few of them every year, it's the first time that I've ever been there with any other media. Normally, I'm there, it's me and maybe um, uh, the family or um, a victim. But essentially, nobody goes to these things, so they are kind of shrouded in mystery. Well, hopefully uh, the piece that you've written today and, and the outcry that we've heard over the last couple of weeks will change some of that. Susan, as always, thanks so much for this. I really appreciate the time today. 
Thanks a lot, Bill. Take care. Susan Claremont, of course, the award-winning columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.